Well, we started um, a few weeks ago a series looking at the book of James. And Dan is going to come uh, in a few moments and, and bring our next uh, passage to us and explain that to us. But we're going to read that before Dan comes. And if you've got a Bible with you, or if you've got it on your phone, or if it's in a paper version, you want to head to James. It's heading towards the back of the Bible, um, just past Hebrews. Um, and you want to go to James chapter 1. Uh, look, we're looking at verses 19 to 27. So 19, the middle of chapter 1 through to the end of the chapter. So James chapter 1, 19 to 7, 27. Let's, let's read God's word together. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the words planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray before Dan comes and explains that to us. Almighty Heavenly Father, we... Thank you and we praise you this evening for your words. Thank you that we can open it and we can read it so freely. Thank you that your word is not just written down in a book from thousands of years ago, but it is living, that it is breathing, that it is as if you were speaking directly from your mouth to us this evening. And Lord God, I pray that we would come to your word with that same attitude. Lord, I pray that we'd come with the attitude that your, your words can change us, your word can change our hearts and make us more like your son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you do that work in us this evening. Father, we pray for Dan as he comes. Lord God, I pray that you'd speak through him powerfully by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd use every word that he says. Uh, Lord God, we just pray that um, you would be glorified as your word is explained. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, James. And uh, good evening, everyone. Oh, what a joy it is to see you all this evening. Um, yeah, enjoying this lovely sunshine, I hope. I hope we've had a good afternoon. Uh, amazing. Well, do keep your Bibles open in front of you as we look at this wonderful passage of James uh, this evening. You see, James in this letter that he's writing is writing to show what your life will look like if you've encountered Jesus. If you committed your life to him, what will it look like? In other words, James shows us in this letter what difference Jesus makes 
to someone's life. And already that we've seen that that this life, well, it looks like going through trials, James says. It, it looks like facing temptation. And this evening we'll see that James shows us that those who have encountered Jesus, well, their lives will be shaped by a new relationship to God's word and will live very differently as a result. And we're going to see that throughout our passage. And I've got three points as we go through. Uh, three points. And the first one is listening listening from verses 19 to 21 you see some people we might even say here this evening you know we might say the bible you know it's written in another culture different times different experiences uh, you know what's it got to do to connect with today but look with me at the start of our passage because i don't know anything more relevant for our culture today look with me at verse 19 if you've got your bibles it says my dear brothers and sisters take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry i want us to imagine for a moment this evening let's let's imagine can you imagine what our society would look like if we all chose to listen more than we spoke, if we all chose to listen to understand someone's point of view rather than listening to respond in anger, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what Prime Minister's Questions Time would look like on a Wednesday lunchtime? Can you imagine what social media would look like as we kind of scrolling through Twitter or Instagram? Can you imagine what households with teenagers living in it would look like? Do you know, if there's anything that we as 21st century people needed to take on board today, it would be this, right? Because if our, if our world maybe had to rewrite, rewrite this verse, it would maybe go something like this, that take note of this, everyone should be quick to everyone should be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry you know why is it that you know when our pride is hurt immediately we rush to defend ourselves why is it that when we we disagree with something we instantly come back on it yeah james he kind of says no to all of that he says actually for those who follow jesus life is meant to look very different from the world around us. We're meant to live very counter-cultural lives. As Christians, we're meant to be those quick to listen. We're those who truly want to listen to someone's point of view, to understand what someone's got to say. We're slow to speak. You know, you've probably been in those conversations. I know that I've been guilty of it, but we've been in those conversations, you know, when we're having a conversation with someone and we can see in someone's eyes that they're not actually listening to what we've got to say. Actually, they're listening to what they're thinking about, what they're going to say next. They just want to speak. And James says, no, 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 no to all of that. Slow to speak. And therefore, slow to become angry. You know, we can be so easily angered, can't we? You see that in the news when, you know, you scroll through Facebook, maybe, or you see comments underneath YouTube videos. We're so easily angered today. So easily angered. And James says, no, no, Christians, actually, those who trust in Jesus, they're slow to anger. Because, verse 20, James says, human anger produces nothing of what God wants. It achieves nothing, James says. 
And do you know what's amazing as we look at these verses? What's amazing about the way that James calls us to live is because actually it lives out the gospel. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when Moses, character in the Bible in the Old Testament, he asks to see God's glory. In other words, he, he asks to see who God is and, and God passes by Moses and reveals himself in Exodus 34, 6. And it says this, and, and as God is passing by Moses, God unequivocally says this to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. God's character is one of grace. It's, it's one of love. It's one of being slow to anger. In one sense, when we live this out, we're living and reflecting God's character to those around. But it also lives out the gospel because you, do you see how in James verse 21, if you look in your Bibles, it describes how we should receive words and listen. It says, when you humbly accept, or another version puts it like a receive with meekness, the words planted in you. Being slow to speak and being quick to listen, that is a humble response, isn't it? That, that, is, that is being humble when we're with other people. And that's the response that James says, that all those who have come to know Jesus have taken in receiving that message that we've heard about him. You know, we can't be proud. Let's think about it. You can't be proud and know the gospel, can you? Because the gospel, the good news about Jesus, whilst it is good news, the message confronts us with our failure. Our failure is put front and centre. And it doesn't just confront us with our failure, but it also tells us that we're powerless to do anything about it. The gospel forces us to almost stop speaking in one sense, to stop excusing ourselves, to stop becoming angry with others and with God. And actually, we're forced to listen to what God has to say. And because the way that's the way that we have responded to the gospel, that is the way that we have had to receive the gospel. Well, James says that we live that out then. We live that out as we live with others around us. And just on a practical note, as we look at these verses, surely isn't it that being a better listener will make you a better speaker? Isn't that the case? You know, I love what Abraham Lincoln said once. He said that if he had six hours to cut down a tree, he would spend the first four sharpening the axe. You know, if you and I were in a six hour conversation then actually just spend the majority of it listening. And in that small bit at the end that we have to speak, well, do you know, our words will be sharper than an axe and will be more helpful and more insightful, won't they? And just on a practical level, it makes sense. It will lead to us being better speakers, quick to listen, slow to speak, James says. Well, that brings us to our second point this evening, listening, but secondly, doing verses 22 to 25 you see James kind of catches us here I love the way he writes and you know we might be thinking this evening you know I can listen I can do that I can be more attentive I can be more humble in my response I can do that sure but James then carries it on and he actually shows us where listening leads look with me at verses 22 to 24 if you've got your bibles 
James says, do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James says, listening is so much more than just hearing things. In fact, it's not enough, James says, to just hear. Listening should always lead to doing. Be doers of the word, James says. You know, I was listening to a a Christian speaker a, a while ago. And he was saying that he believes that the devil is pleased when Christians meet together and have the Bible opened in front of them. Please, when Christians gather at conferences and have the Bible opened and clearly explained and then close their Bibles, walk out of the building and go home thinking job done. The devil's happy with that. And that's what James says, doesn't he? He says, don't listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And James illustrates that with this image of of someone who's looking in a mirror and then walks away completely forgetting what he looks like. And the point is, well, what's the point? What was the point in looking at the mirror just to forget it immediately? And it's like, what's the point of listening? What's What's the point of hearing God's words every morning at your quiet time, every Sunday? If once we've read it, no sooner have we forgot it. What's the point, James says, if you're not going to do anything? But to use another illustration, it's a bit like you, you needing to redecorate a wall in your living room, say. And so you go to B&Q and you, want, you pick the paint that you want, you know, frosted door number six or something like that. And you, you buy the paint, you, you take the paint home, you carry the paint into the living room. And when you put it down, you then walk out congratulating yourself that a job done. Not realising that the true value of the pot of paint, it's not in its purchase, but in its application. Its value is it being on the wall and not still in the tin. And it's the same with God's word. Its value is not just in it being heard, in it being listened to. Its value is in its application. It being lived out, you could say, on the metaphorical walls of our lives. That's the value of God's word when it's lived out. And that's what we see in the next in James, in verse 25, if you look with me. He kind of shows us what that looks like in in part. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you see that phrase there? The perfect law that gives freedom. That sounds a bit like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The, The law brings freedom. And anyway, aren't we told in Romans that the law actually doesn't bring freedom, but it actually brings condemnation? Well, do you know, this isn't an oxymoron and this isn't a contradiction. James uses the perfect law to describe all of God's word. In fact, Jesus in John's gospel, he when he quotes from the Psalms, which is not the law, it's actually the writings. But he says, as the law says, 
And so he uses it to describe the whole of God's word. And the same has been used here in James. James uses the law to describe all of God's word. But it's a law, James says, that brings freedom. And yet we might read that verse and we might think that that sounds like anything but freedom. Actually, it sounds maybe to us like it's more of a burden. But firstly, our relationship with God's word when we trust in Jesus. Do you know, it's not one of following it in order to be made right with God. But because we have been made right with God and Jesus has rescued us and given us a new way of life, that is our relation with it. Not to make us right with God, but because we have been made right with God, we listen and we follow God's way. But it's also called the law that gives freedom because in God's word, what do we have? We we have the creator's manual for life, don't we? We have his guide on how the best way to live is, a way that brings blessing and not curse, a way that brings life and not death, a way that brings good and not harm. I heard one person illustrate it, you know, with a fish. Now, I don't know whether we've got any fish owners uh, tuning in this evening. I have my suspicions that there might be a couple uh, tuning in. But most of us, if we have a fish, we will put that fish in a tank filled with water won't we now you might say well can't go anywhere it wants it doesn't have freedom and so so outraged at the lack of freedom this fish has well we might decide to take the fish out of the tank and to take it outside and we decide to free it by laying it on the patio where the fish has now got all the freedom in the world no restrictions for this fish It's free in our minds. Well, rightly, you will be shouting at your computer screens because, well, if we did that, we would find out very quickly, wouldn't we? That that wouldn't bring freedom of any kind to the fish. In fact, Gary the goldfish would lose not just his freedom, but would lose his life. You see, freedom, contrary to popular and cultural opinion, is not the absence of restrictions, is it? True freedom is giving us the right restrictions that prevent us from living in a way that we weren't designed to live. Because the minute that you take the fish back into the tank, well, it will be as fast as lightning. It goes from death to life. It it knows true freedom. Freedom is not the absence of restriction, but rather finding the right restrictions for life. And the same is true with God's word. God knows what a fish needs to flourish. It needs water and be free. And he knows what you and I need. And so freedom is found in God's word, his manual for life. And in living it out, James As James calls us to do, James says that we find the joy and the freedom and the blessedness of life in all of its fullness. As we live within the boundaries, the restrictions that God gives us to flourish in life, living out God's word brings freedom. It brings blessing. And so what more of a motivation for us not to forget God's word, but to be doers of the word. You know that we leave each Sunday 
day, each morning quiet time that we have, thinking after God's word, what in my life has to change? How is my life, how is this going to affect the way that I live today? That is what it looks like to be a doer of God's word. We live it out. We do it. Doing. And finally, that brings us to the third and final point, which is living verses 26 to 27. You see, here's the logic that we've seen so far in James so far. When we've been humbled by God's word, we will listen to God's word. And when we listen to God's word, well, that leads us to doing God's word. And so the question as we finish this evening is, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? And here at the end of the passage, we get a glimpse of what it does. You see, in verse 26, James shows us again what worthless religion looks like. And in verse 27, we, we, get a, we see what God loves to see in his people. Look with me at verse 27. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Why is it that someone who listens to God's word and does God's word, why is it that their life will look like this? Well, for very good reasons. You see, firstly, our lives will look like this because, well, it proves that we've truly read and heard God's word. See, James has chosen two examples here in verse 28 that are repeated time and time again in the Bible, caring for the widow and the orphan and being holy, set apart from the world around. You know, you read through any of the prophets. In fact, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Ezekiel, all of them. And we see the main complaint that God often has against his people is that they have forgotten the most needy among them. And not just forgotten them, but actually exploited the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan that they were meant to be looking after. We see that God has complaints that instead of being holy from the world around them, they look like the world around them. We see that time and time again. If you had to boil it down, this is what we would see. And so if you read anything of God's words, well, you will know that this is what God wants his people to be like to care and to look out for the widow, for the orphan, the the vulnerable in society. God wants to live his people to live holy lives, not worshipping the gods that everyone else worships, but worshipping him. And so to live like this, well, it's almost a proof, the proof that you have truly read and heard God's words, because you know what's close to God's heart. And this is what's close to God's heart. God's word couldn't be clearer. This is what God wants. But secondly, our lives will look like this because it proves we understand the gospel. Because if we look at the most vulnerable, you know, orphans and widows are that. And as we as God's people, you know, we look at those people and we lack compassion. You know, if we don't care about those people, which, you know, it shows quite frankly that we don't truly know the gospel. Because as we care for the widow and for the orphan, 
we are to remember as we do that, that in God's sight, we have all been in a spiritual orphanage. We heard this morning, didn't we? Blessed are those poor in spirit. Blessed are those spiritually bankrupt. That's you and me this, this evening. And it was only because of the love and the kindness of God that in his mercy, he came to that spiritual orphanage and he saw you sat there with no way to help yourself, no hope, no family. And he said, I choose you. I love you. And by the Lord Jesus, those adoption papers were signed for us and we were given a totally new life, given a new hope, given more love and acceptance this evening than our hearts could actually handle. And an inheritance in Jesus's name that, to be quite frank, I can't quite fully comprehend this evening. Even now. And when we understand that. Well, our lives and our view on the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow is going to change dramatically, isn't it? And our lives are going to be ones that live out the gospel in full display to everyone else as one giant testimony that this is what God has done for me. James says this evening, do you know the gospel? Do you know what God has done for you? Well, live it out then. Live it out. And tonight, you know, let us strive to be a church here at Oak Hall. I can't begin to tell you how, how challenged I've been this week reading this. Do you know, we've been called, haven't we, to be doers of the words. And we can't leave this evening without with, with not doing anything. And there are so many ways this evening that we can live this out, you know, whether that be from giving money maybe to people or to organisations that help those who are in distress, who help the most vulnerable. Maybe it's this evening we know people around us, people, friends, family who are in distress, who are in need around us. And we want to reach out with them and show that gospel love that we have received to them. Maybe it's even contemplating adoption now maybe that's something that we're seriously thinking about tonight to give a home to the homeless because that is what God has done for us to be a church that lives out this gospel to those around and James says God sees that God sees that and he says it's good and it's beautiful and it's pleasing do you know a lot of people judge God's words on the way that they see Christians live it out. I know a lot of my friends would say that. And that in part is right, isn't it? And it's a challenging thing for us to recognise as, as believers that actually we're ambassadors for Christ. We are a representation of the gospel wherever we are, wherever we go this week. But, you know, if people and if we want to know this evening, true Christianity then in our lives, people are going to get a flawed glimpse of it, aren't they? We, we fall short, we, we fail. And that is why as we hear this call tonight to be doers of the word, well, we need to recognise that there has only and ever been one doer of the word completely, the Lord Jesus. If we want a glimpse of God's word perfectly lived out, it is him. And what's amazing, we're going to remember it in just a few moments. James is going to lead us. That on the cross, Jesus, the one true doer of the word, gave up his perfection to take on our sin.
And he gave his obedience so that we might have it instead and be drawn into this new life, this new way of living under his rule and his words. And so as we head out into this week, well, let at the forefront of our minds be doers of the word, not deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're listening to the truth, but in actual fact, we're just forgetting it. And to live in that freedom, that blessedness, that joy that James wants us to have this evening, that acts as one big testimony of the gospel to those around. Oh, amen. Well, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we want to be doers of the word. We thank you that you are the one true doer. And we pray that our lives would in some way reflect who you are and what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be those that are deceived into thinking that we are living out the Christian life when in actual fact we're just listening and forgetting. Lord, help us to be those that when, listen, when listening and hearing, we act and that we go into this week ready to live as your ambassadors, ready to live as those who want to live out this freedom and this joy that you have in store for us, this life in all of its fullness. Help us to see that life under your word is where life is meant to be. And Lord Jesus, we look to you as we do that this week and we pray it be for your glory and that people might know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.